So Soulful 7 Conversations, I'm interviewing people that I admire because I believe they are living a soulful life. And so that's why you're on the sofa <laughs> Thank today. You. Well, and I just <laughs> want to say, like, um, when I, the way I experience you and I know so many the way so many people experience you is that you already do live soulfully. So I think I just want to sort of say, I think you're already doing it. Wow. Uh, and, and totally commend like a deeper dive into how to do that more deeper, more with more awareness. But um, in, it is like time is the one resource we just don't get back right. like every single day, every single moment. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, I'm grateful to be on the sofa with you. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna start off kind of big and, um, and I'm going to ask you, how do you know that God, the divine, um, cosmic Christ, um, the big presence, love exists? I do have a faith, and, I, I, and yet I also think there's just so much evidence of, that we were made in love, of, of, of a love greater than us. And, um, and, I, and I hope this doesn't sound irritating or is perceived in any kind of negative way, but I can just honestly say I have always, all my life, literally felt in the palm of God's hand. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I, I can't remember a time I felt estranged from that. And that doesn't mean my life has been all easy or all perfect or, you know, all happy, but in fact, it's been in some of, like, the darkest times that I have most felt God's presence and sort of close breath. But I think there's evidence in, in so much of our daily life. It doesn't have to be like these big, profound landscapes, but just tasting, you know, a sweet berry or thinking about, you know, my own child's breathing body in my lap or something. All of this feels like gifts from some, something divine, some love. Something bigger than With ourselves. a capital L, right? Yeah. That feeling, that presence. Um, if you were to introduce God or define the God that you know, how would you do that? And I say that because I think that we each, um, well, we just have this gift of experiencing our creator yeah. in our own unique, beautiful, sacred way. But it's yeah. interesting to me to hear how other people experience God and, and see the great I am in their yeah. own life, in their own intimate relationship. Because um, I think that might kind of um, enhance my own. Right. I think if I were to introduce you to, to the God I know, you know, I think I would just say God is, the God I know is always near the brokenhearted, mm -hmm. especially. And, you know, something sort of as my faith has matured, I'm coming to understand God not as a giver and not as one who takes away. I remember when Lula was born and I was like, praise God from all, whom all blessings flow. And that was just like in my mind over and over and over again and thinking this beautiful creature is a gift from God. And, you know, I do in many sense feel like life is full of blessings and I've been given so much. But it's really hard for me to reconcile my theology with like God, a God who takes away. Like I was just sitting with this young mother. She worked, she tried, she and her husband tried for five years to get pregnant. They finally got pregnant. They had a wonderful, happiest year of their life. 
being pregnant and on the D-Day of their daughter's birth, she started bleeding and went to the hospital and it was a stillbirth and I don't know if the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck and so she, they just sat in my office sitting with this mom. Um, you know, I just, I couldn't stick, sit across from her and be like, God did this, you know, this isn't of God and, and God is with you in this like most sorrowful she's feeling so guilty like or somehow she deserved this and I guess theologically what I'm trying to say is I can't believe in a God who takes away um, and so can I then believe in a God who gives but what I can believe in and is, is a God who's with us all the time oh, I love that. so well and that, I you know, when I've asked you know ever asked to um, define hope because I always yeah. talk about hope because it's something that I feel it's like if you don't have it, then what do you have? Yeah. And um, and so one of one of the essentials for me of living in hope is that God is always with me. That's right. Right. That and I just there's so many unanswered questions for me, and as I get older and I get, you know, I don't know if it's more spiritually mature, which I probably is not the case, but it's at least I'm I'm searching more as I get yeah. older. I'm realizing that that's actually enough. That's right. If I know that God's with me, then Okay, I can then, I can do this. And I think to your question about how would you introduce God, like that urging, that nudging, that longing for something better, which is hope, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the character of God in us. I mean, I, I think, and, and that's why in my own life, I imagine if I didn't have God or know God or belong to God, I, the alternative to me sounds like despair. Right. So and I, I do believe that. So I, that it feels like despair. I feel like hope, the presence of hope in a person, that you know, that's a, that is our deepest connection to God. So, so I um, living in this what feels much more secular mm. and materialistic, and you know, having teenagers and even myself, guilty myself, is social social media crazed culture, it feels like sandpaper to what I know that's mm. inside of me, what my desires and longings and what I know to be true mm. and kind of how I do really want to live my life. Mm. But I feel like the culture that's around does feel a bit like sandpaper to the spiritual life that I want to live. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? <laughs> and how, how do we personally, um, within our families and children, and you're getting ready to have children that are older where you'll be faced with this even more, um, how do we reconcile? Mm -hmm. How do we make the spiritual part of our lives be the compass? Mm -hmm. And then the world kind of follows that instead mm -hmm. of the world is, you know, the king and reigns and in the spiritual life, well, you just kind of fit it in wherever mm. you can fit it in. If you can weave it in here and there and you have like little sparkles of it here and there, then that's got to be enough. Right. Um, I do feel that already. And um, I think it, it is, I think to take the gospel seriously is not, we can't split the two. I don't, I don't think we can split our spiritual selves or our spiritual lives or our spiritual desires um, away from the rest of the world. I mean, Jesus you know, himself is like, I do not give as the world gives. And I think the gospel, the good news is, is so 
countercultural, and it is so against the grain of the status quo. And I, but it's not against the truth and the um, the desires of our soul. And I mean that like, like I think that if everyone was able to reel it back, and maybe it's you sit quietly with yourself. Jesus said, "Go into your room and shut the door, but bolt the door." Mm. Like you got to step away. And I think that if we if we would slow ourselves down mm -hmm. and actually say, okay, so what is it that the true Pharaoh right. wants and, yeah. and knows that she's supposed to do and knows what, what her kind of destiny and her responsibility and what will actually make her feel whole and joyful, mm -hmm. I think it's here. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the, the, the rub, that's the struggle is that but everybody else is out there it's really loud it's like they're speaking through one of those gramophones that are so loud that's that's speaking everything but that yeah i mean i know i i guess i think that the world is i think like more and more and more and i feel like in order for us to really be able to uncover our purpose and what we're made for which is you know to love god and love god's people and to you know, be a blessing in this life we're given, I think is to take things away. And it's really, yeah. it, that to me is not the message we get from the world. I mean, if you look at Jesus's life, he was very much in the world and then he would go into the wilderness. So he had these like times of, I don't think he was, he himself was worldly, but he got very close to the most pressing issues of his time, which are honestly not that different from the most pressing issues of our time, but then he would retreat and pray and humble himself and connect with God and um, try to you know, draw deeper into what he was made for. So maybe the answer, I do think the answer generally, at least I've found in my own life, is in my own search for that peace that passes all understanding, it's usually not to do more or try to be more but to peel away and remind myself or remember or be reminded, uh, you know, God's grace is not something I'm earning um, and, and that you know, I'm enough already. Uh, and, the, you know, I think the realization is that when we do pile it on, we can tend to sort of crush that um, most precious gift inside of us. We are just burdened. <laughs> We're burdened with the, the weight of the world. Um, and then you feel you feel anxious. You feel burned out. Yeah. You feel kind of exhausted by yeah. your life. And um, you definitely don't feel yeah. the peace that surpasses all understanding. You yeah. actually feel the opposite of that. Yeah. And I, and I think like so much, so many of us are just, we are, we are carrying the load of trying to be many, many things for many people. And I don't want to diminish that in any way, but um, one of my favorite, we were talking about Thomas Merton earlier, but um, Thomas Merton, I think, has this quote that's like, the way to become a saint is to become yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like a pairing away of like, well, okay, what, it, what it, who is it I, I was made to be? And, um, or as Mary Oliver would say, like, what is it you want to do with your, you plan to do with your one wild, precious wild life. and precious life? Yes, exactly. So um, for me, anyway, I, I, um, I tend to feel closer to that when I take things off the list and not like have them. I think it can be profound to, to give things away mm -hmm. and peel things back 
rather than just pile more on and try to accumulate more. Like, um, I'm, I have an art studio in my new house and I am an artist. I think that's actually my truest calling, like mother, artist. I think a lot of what I have the pleasure and privilege of doing at the Food Project is very creative and, and sort of at its heartbeat art making. But um, I'm doing this thing right now where I've been holding on to all this stuff that I've thought was like really precious and essential to hold on to, but I'm just cleaning it out. I'm giving it away. I'm, I'm trying to like lighten the load and I was really afraid to do that for a long time, but I feel like it's getting me, it's, it's getting me a little bit, it's freeing me up. And I think that's what Jesus wants for us, is like to be free. Um, right. I heard uh, Father James Martin, he's a Jesuit priest, say- oh, I love him. He wrote I the book love, on the saints. And yes, I love, I love him so much. And um, James Martin said, you know, he, he uses the Pope, Pope Francis as an example. Like he doesn't live in the papal palace. He doesn't even wear shoes. Like he's just free. He's free. He's free. Of, Don't we want to feel more of that? And that's what Jesus wants for us. Mm -hmm. Is what is what Father Martin would say. And I, I'm, I'm, I think that's something to live into. Well, and I struggle too, and 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 I see this in you. We have a lot to give. Mm. So um, I have a lot. I have a lot of energy, and I was gifted with that. That mm. I can. Could do a lot of things yeah. and I'm excited about a lot of things. I just imagine you like you're like light on your feet. You're everywhere, I... <laughs> you're doing a lot, you're bouncing from here to here. You don't carry a heavy load. You just Well, I, I do carry a heavy load. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't look me. like it, maybe. No, but I I I do I feel this sense of um like I've said before, the preciousness of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because I do a lot of pastoral ministry and I see yeah. how quickly um this, this life can end yeah. and, and um, you do take your last breath. And so I feel this need to, to do and be and, and, and experience. And, um, you know, I, I do believe God gave me a lot of energy yeah. because I think God wants me to, to get out there and do a lot of things. And, and so it's like trying to find um, that balance of, because I also know that if I really want to live soulfully, I have to step away mm, and I, I have to, you know, do as Jesus said, which is to go in the room and, and not just shut the door, but lock the door. Mm -hmm. And I think that means to me, like, I actually have to way step away. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to go into the desert. Mm -hmm. For me, that's to go into Percy Warner or Radnor mm -hmm. Lake by myself. Yeah. No phones, no music. I mean, just perfect silence. Yeah. And, um, I, Bear my heart. It's too. hard to be there. I just like I, for me, I don't know about I, Percy Warner is beautiful, but like I just mean going in the room without distraction and facing God can be a really, really hard thing to do. Facing oneself. I mean, maybe it's not for you. No, no, no. And you know what? I it is very hard, and and I find that um, usually when it's in a place of struggle for me and desperation. Mm -hmm that I have an easier time mm -hmm. getting to that place. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, everything yeah. is quickly moved to the side and it's like, okay, God, here we are. Desperate. And I'm desperate. Mm -hmm. And I'm either desperate for a new path mm -hmm. or I'm desperate for you to please save someone that yeah. means something to me. Yeah. Or I'm desperate for you to um, make me feel more peaceful on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I feel like that, you know, one of the tools in my toolbox, I guess, in my faith is that is recovery is recovery speak and recovery relationships and 
12 steps and I kind of feel like that's it that you're in when you're working the steps and in recovery you're with God facing yourself and your demons and your gifts what you have to offer but a lot of times we have a lot of uncovering to do to get back to that place but it's often like meeting God there in desperation I know and you know we we live in this culture that that kind of like um, dangles the candy or whatever it is mm-hmm. in front of you. The busier you are, I know. the better you are. The more successful. Yeah, you got to be yeah. busy. And and it's like you have conversations with people, and the first thing they say to you, oh, yeah, I'm so busy. And, <laughs> and actually, I've tried to, I, I, I actually don't want to be the person that whenever you come across Farrell, she tells you the first thing she says yeah. is she's busy, yeah. which the reality is um, working and having six children and writing and, you know, doing the things I am busy, right. but I think that there's a way to be peaceful or more peaceful. And we talked about this earlier that, you know, to live soulfully is, is to live with discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, I, I call it that. doing the hard work, but it's yeah. like, you have to do the work. I, I have that. a friend who has a um, tattoo on the inside of his wrist and it just says, do the work mm-hmm. because daily mm-hmm. I have to do the work. Mm-hmm. I have to check myself. Mm-hmm. I have to remember like, what are the essentials? What are the priorities mm-hmm. for my life? Mm-hmm. So with that said, what are the well, first, I'd like you to tell me what, what it does it look like to live soulfully for you? Because I look at you and you definitely live soulfully. And, and it's never perfect. No. And some days are better than others oh of, of striving for that. But I see that you are living, you're looking for a deeper way to mm. live this one human spiritual life. Yeah. And um, so it'd be interesting to me to hear, like, what, is, what does that look like to you? Yeah. I love and what do you intentionally do to kind of manifest that in your life? Yeah. I really love this word discipline. Um, when I think about church communities, communities of faith, or all kinds of communities, really, when they put like rituals in place, whether it's like Sunday morning worship or um, the ritual of eating a meal together, like you were talking about with your, your family, um, those are disciplines. In a way, it's sort of like the skeleton of a day or a skeleton of communal life together that we anchor into and then we build a a soulful life on top of that. But I think it, like if you look at monastic life or, um, yeah, or nuns or all kinds of different people. More ascetic. Yeah. Yeah. More ascetic lives. There's just so much discipline, um, built into a day. And I think we need that. Um, otherwise we, we wander, but you know, for me, I, I, uh, you know, again, speaking about recovery, um, I, I really love in recovery this, this idea of cleaning up your side of the street. That's like the most we can do. And so I think that takes a lot of self-awareness, a lot of acceptance. The, the self-awareness part is not that hard for me. The accepting my reality, like mm-hmm. accepting what is not yet what I wish it was, accepting what is out of order or imperfect or unfair unjust in some way that can be a real hard thing but you know self-awareness accepting acceptance um and just as much intentionality as possible like one of the things and this is so biblical to me um one of the things we say at the food project and i've definitely encountered in my own life is that every single one of us in life has 
at the very same time could be host and guest. Mm -hmm. And so just because I'm setting the table as a quote host um, doesn't mean that someone who comes to sit at my own table that I've set doesn't in some way host and deliver me to something I didn't yet know about myself. And I think that's like a really beautiful thing about mutual relationships. And when we, and this is again something I love about the Food Project, but it's something I deeply hold to be true in my own faith life, is like when we can blur these lines between the giver and the receiver, which is like so of this world. Like I grew up very much the giver with lots of privilege, especially as a Christian, like going into mission trips and things as the giver. When we can blur those lines, though, I think we, again, get closer to the heart of God and see that we are all made in God's image. We all have gifts to give. And we all have stuff to learn from each other. Um, and so this blurring of the lines um, is a really important, I think, part of living a soulful life is to get into experiences where you are out of your comfort zone. Right. You are sharing a meal with someone you would not otherwise encounter in daily life. Um, so anyway, I, back to your original question, I have to do a lot of work on myself, <laughs> go to therapy, take walks, write in the morning, read my, you know, uh, little recovery book in the morning. And, uh, I do not always do it perfectly. I do not always even do it, but when I do, and is that something that, like, you start your day off in the morning? I mean, are you pretty intentional in the morning of, or do you have a time during the day that you set aside to, like you said, walk and read? And um, Yes. You do? Yeah. In the mornings, I, I try to, um, before I pick up my phone, I try to write and read and pray. I try to schedule as many meetings walking as possible. So that um, is yeah. like my attempt. But I just want to reiterate that I don't always do these things. and mm -hmm. But I, I do feel um, like my capacity for the people around me and to love and reflect God's love is greater when I take the time to do these things. There was something else I was going to say, which is I think back to this, like monastic life, like this idea of practicing. My favorite scripture is in Acts when the, it's like the formation of the early, it's the formation of the early Christian church. And um, it's Acts 2.42 and they're like, they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And it's just, I love how it's like they devoted themselves to these things. It's not like they did those things perfectly. They just mm -hmm. went all in right. practicing. And I really think um, th th there's this poet, Maxine Kuhnman, and she says, it's important to act as if bearing witness matters. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's just important that we keep going as if this matters and yeah. we practice. And that is hopeful and I think that is soulful and I think that automatically gives purpose and meaning to our lives. If we are all doing that, mm -hmm. I think we would be a more just, more loving, more awake society. I love that. I mean, I love that like takes you all the way back to the beginning of, you know, you were made in God's image. I so yeah. believe um, that everything was began yeah. from goodness yeah. and, and love and um, I've thrown Augustine out so long ago that yes. I just, you know, I just cannot... 
I just believe that um, God looks at us and he's like, oh my gosh, you have so much yeah. potential. You ha I've given you everything. Yeah. I, you have a capacity to love beyond measure. Yes. And um, I, I've given you access to the peace. It's there yeah. if you can just try to find it. Yeah. But I love what you just said about making sure that your presence matters. Yes. Because I look at you and, and it's so clear what you're doing at the Nashville Food Project by feeding, you know, the people that are on the fringes that do yeah. not have the abundance that both of us have sitting yeah. here. And, um, but you do it in such a way that you, um, not only do you make your presence count, mm. but you show them that their presence counts. Yeah. And like, I mean, think about in your pastoral life, the times you're at someone's bedside and you are bearing witness as though it matters and it does matter. It doesn't it just does matter, matter to that person. It matters to their family. It matters to their children. It matters to their parents. And, and that is living a faithful, holy life, I believe. And, and I think that's important to say because, um, you know, a lot of times I do talk about, you know, living soulfully as it being an individual experience. Mm. And, and I, I don't want to ever, um, not say the importance and in, in my belief that but your life has to have a significance to the bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, God put us each here and, and I believe we each we're, are here because we have a reason that God sees something that is just uniquely to Lou or uniquely feral yeah. to do in this time and space. And, yeah. you know, part of life is that searching for it and, and we hope we discover it. And then when we do discover it, we make our presence count for something. Yeah. Um, I'm just, you know, we live in this world right now. You know, we have so many things going on in culture, um, politically, socially. Um, it feels, you know, we keep hearing how divisive we all are and, you know, polarized. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these really heavy, um, dark um, words that are labeling this time mm -hmm. that we're living in right now which I'm not so sure that this hasn't been the case with humanity always, but um, it makes you um, really need to take a look at what are your truths hmm. and what are the essentials in your life that you are going to hold on to hmm. in the uncertainty and in the meanness and the unpredictability. And so I'm just wondering what as a mother and, hmm. and as a wife in your household, what are the essentials? What are your what are your truths that you just know and you're holding on to? Um, God is God is always a force for good in our lives. Um, I don't know if this gets at your answer, but I had a professor in seminary who was in my first preaching class, and it was just this was like before digital cameras and things, and so. I was taped. My very first sermon, I delivered to my professor, and I was taped. And then we had to sit down and watch the tape together. It was excruciating. <laughs> and uh, my, my teacher, she turned off, like she used the clicker, and she put the clicker down on the table. And she looked at me, and she said, Tulu, you have to decide that what you're here to do is more important than how you feel about doing it. And... I'm not sure this is the kind of truth you're after in this question, but I think about that as a mother, as an activist, as a pastor all the time, that what God put me to hear, here to do is more important than my resentment, my exhaustion, 
I'm not saying that how a person feels is not important, mm -hmm. but like I have work you have a mission. to do. I was here to do certain mission. things. And, and so I, what are those things to lose? Like I what in your heart do you feel like you're here to do? I think it is to, to, to try as best as I can to understand people. I think, I think what I look at my children and I, they're four and six and I think what they need, they need unconditional love and they need to be understood. And childhood is so full of, um, Life is, is full of um, difficulty and pain and things that don't make sense. And you know, I watch them encountering things already in the world that are unfair. And I want them to have a forum for expressing what they don't understand and for me to understand that they don't understand it and that that's okay. And I don't know if that, any, if that made sense. But I feel like I'm here to, to love unconditionally, um, to share what I have, to, to understand, um, to hold the mirror up to other the goodness in other people that I see, you know, I feel like I think just to in a loving way as full of understanding as possible to in, endure and encounter the highs and lows of life with people, and and I think to do that in some kind of way that keeps the light on for others who mm -hmm. are going through really hard times, whether that is. They've just lost their first and only child um, in a death, you know, to death that doesn't make any kind of sense, or um, you know, a person coming out of prison who has had a very difficult life and is trying to rebuild something, you know, on, on the outside, so to speak. Um, I feel like I'm lately little, my prayers have been um, uh, really simple. Um, just be with me, God. Be with me. And that. it was just the other day that I realized that, but actually, so the prayer that I'm praying to God to be with me is exactly what I try to do for other people. Yeah. I just, you know, just to be with them. And, and my job, you know, is in pastoral ministry, you know, I'm usually with people at, you know, those tender yes. points in our lives that each one of us being human beings are going to all go through. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of hurt and loss and uncertainty and fear. Yes. And, um, you know, people always ask me, well, so what, what exactly do you do? Right. Like, what? How can you do that? How can you go to those really scary places? And, and it's, I go back to the same prayer that I pray to God, be with me, yeah. is exactly what I'm doing trying to do. To be so present. we have to be with each other. Yeah. And be present and, to their pain and be present to their fear and be yeah, present to all but in, in, it's just like what you said, though, is to, you know, I need to be with my husband. I need to be with my friend Tulu. I need to be with my children that that if we want to live lives that are consequential and that our presence counts, yes. it's because we're being with people. Yeah, I and I think that. that's why I um, love the personhood of Jesus so yeah. much. Because whenever I imagine, um, I think it's St. Ignatius that says that you should imagine he would do these, um, uh, these prayer meditations yeah. where you would imagine being in the room with Jesus and what it would be like. And the first time I read that, I thought, gosh, what is this saint from like the 1100s yeah. talking about? But now I, I, it is so comforting to me to imagine like Jesus in the room and how Jesus would be. And it's, it's, it's like the ideal human being. It's like the ideal mm. friend 
the person that you want to show up and be in the room with you, the person that you want to sit always, like I always say that, you know, at a dinner table, I always want David at the table because David's always great for conversation and he always makes everybody feel welcome. Not that I'm comparing David to Jesus. Oh, your own personal Jesus. <laughs> but, but, um, but I just feel like that if Jesus is at the table, that you know you would have the best dinner party yeah, ever. And um, in those moments where I don't have answers, I can just imagine Jesus like, you know, laying his hand on my shoulder and maybe not giving me the answers, but just being with me. Like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna find our way through this. And I don't know, it's just this new thing of of imagining what Jesus, this gentle I go back to this word of gentle, but I feel like Jesus would be this gentle presence. Um and I feel like our world needs more of that. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fiery, um, fiery mm. words and rhetoric, and there's a lot of um, meanness, yeah. and there's a lot of uh, anger and fear and churning up a lot of anxiety in our culture right now. Yes. And it's like I just want Jesus to walk in the room. Yes. Right. And yes. I just want Jesus to say, "Okay, guys, we're all human beings here." Yes. And we all have the capacity to um, hurt and be afraid. And let's just be with one another and figure our way through this. Yeah. We've kind of lost that that capacity yeah. to, um, and maybe it's just the distilling it down to just loving one another. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't turn the television on anymore. Yeah. Because I just, and I don't turn the radio on in the car. And so, you know, I know people probably think she does not know what's going on in the world. And unfortunately, through the phone, you know, you still get bits and pieces yeah. of what's going on in the world. But I, I just realized that that it's it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. I don't want my children to feel this anxiety heat and anxiety and anger around them because I need them to be light bears and hope bears in the yeah. world. And I need them to not be beaten down before. Yeah. And if I watch that stuff... I feel yeah. like, oh my gosh, I don't have a lightness of being. And yeah. I need to be that person that goes into the room and does yeah. say, you know what? Things are possible and we can have light and, and yeah. hope is there. And What I love about you saying you don't turn the TV on anymore, to go back to something I was saying, which is about your own self-awareness. It's like, you know your line. Like, you know where your limits are, like where that starts to... Um, like dip into what then you're going to have to be able to give. And um, have you ever heard like that, like the bucket filler versus what, what dips into your bucket? Like yeah. I think that's like a thing you use with kids. But, My son yeah. Percy at five years old, he's learning that at school right, right now. And he's talking about, you know, I'm filling a bucket. I'm that's filling right. a bucket. That's right. And to being aware of what dips into your bucket versus what yes. fills it. And yes. it's different for all of us. I had an amazing professor who who said to me, you know, Tulu, you have got to let this world in to the point that it galvanizes you to do more, not to the point that it paralyzes you. It's true. And for all of us, that's a different line. You know, we can't, God doesn't want us to be paralyzed. We are, we are actors of God's love in this world. And so we can't turn, if, if for you, it's turning on the TV. I mean, I think it's important to be informed, but not to the point that it dips Mm -hmm. into our bucket and paralyzes us to, to act and to be the light. And, um, you know, when I think about you, I, one thing I, I think about in, in the book of John, where, you know, John's writing and he's like, um, 
the light came into the world and he himself was not the light. He was just like the bearer of the light. And I, I think we're all called to that. I think you're so good at it. And through your writing, through your visits to the hospital and your way you parent your children and all of that. But just like being this like tunnel or funnel of God's light is. You know what I realized, uh, Lou, is I realized that, you know, I'm really, you know, we talked about this. This is a period of discernment for me. And so this year of living soulfully, I'm really just conscientiously trying to figure out what is it that I need to do to be the best version of myself, mm -hmm. um, to be a happy, balanced, peaceful, joyful person. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'm asking myself questions like, okay, so what am I good at? What do I enjoy? Um, where can I make a difference mm -hmm. where, and what I, I just keep coming back to this fifth grade girl who, you know, just so loves people. Mm -hmm. Like I genuinely love the human being. Yeah. Like I think God so has just created the most magnificent thing in the human being. And I'm so interested in people. I'm interested in what they're thinking. I'm interested in what they love and enjoy. And, and more than anything, I, when they're struggling, I want to help them so that they can keep yeah. being these people in the world. Yeah. Like it, it, and that helps you. It, it does. In a way, you know, or it makes it you just, feel like you're in your purpose. I know it is. Yeah. I, I do think that part of um, living soulfully is figuring out what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes Tulu, you know, on fire in this world? Like what is it that makes her life count and yeah. her presence and figuring out what that is. And then in the most peaceful, balanced way trying to fulfill that on a daily basis um it's kind of like what living soulfully is part of it yeah. you know it's you know being quiet in nature and it's you know having some sort of prayer life and conversation with god but it's also like okay so i was created for a reason yeah what is that that i could be out there doing that's right and and i think that um you know we we are kind of on the same path but we do very different things yeah and for a while in there, I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to be feeding people the National Food Project every single day. Like that's, I love to feed people yeah. and I love that she brings people to the table. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that you feed, you feed people that could be eating at McDonald's mm -hmm. or eating not, not healthy food. Mm -hmm. You're like, you know what? No, we're going to set mm -hmm. a table for you mm -hmm. and you're going to eat the same thing that I would fix mm -hmm. for my family. Mm. Like we're going to use beautiful vegetables that I've just come mm -hmm. out of the garden mm -hmm. and I'm going to set a table for you because you're like made in the image of God mm. and, and you deserve to have a beautiful meal and conversation and yeah. believe that you are this beautiful yeah. creature in the world. It's so admirable. Ugh. But I say that because I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed with that. What is my destiny? What mm. is it that I'm here to do? And I'm realizing it's taken 10, 11 years of working in the church and mm. writing to realize like, Farrell finds your path and you That's do right. your path and Tulu's going to do That's her right. path. And, and, and when it's working well, then paths cross. Right. And, totally. and, um, and so some people are teaching and they're a teacher and they're impacting mm -hmm. people as a teacher. Um, some people are parenting and That's they're right. raising these children that are, you know, filled with all this ability to go out and be light bearers in the world. And some people are doctors and they're healing. And we all have 
you got to figure out what it is that it kind of turns the soul on and then mm-hmm. follow that. Totally. I love um, Jen Hatmaker. Do you know Jen Yes, Hatmaker? I listened to her podcast. Yeah. She did this beautiful podcast on, on Barbara Brown Taylor. And oh, cool. You know I love Barbara I Brown Taylor. I know you Taylor. do, yeah. Love her. Well, I, Jen Hatmaker, I saw this once on social media, and she she's just like, at the end of the day, like all we can do is ask ourselves, was I faithful with what I had been given? Like today, was today. I faithful with what I was in front of, with what I had been given? And I... I kind of think that's like a pretty amazing way to end the day in conversation with God. Like, was I faithful with what? Like, it's sort of like, did I do my best? And not, was I perfect, but was I faithful? And, um, well, I just saw this email. I mean, I just saw this, um, podcast, like, um, interview with Elon Musk, who is this like Titan of intelligence and he is thinking so big so big so wide and it's like remarkable actually to hear his brain think i mean the things and and i you know dave and i we finished watching i'm like oh goodness gracious like he's doing some big stuff in the world like he he's gonna be up there with the einsteins like he's doing and and then you know i got the bed and i like reeled it back and i'm like you know what though it's one step at a time and i'm loving and right. and i'm doing Farrell's road that's exactly and right and thank god for elon musk yeah. because he's like going to you know take us to places yeah. we've never been taken before yeah. but i'm going to love into places that i haven't ever been before that's, that's exactly right that's what we're doing i think it's interesting yeah. i think that um you know, and I want to make it clear with when I talk about living soulfully yeah. that um, it's not just like all sunny days that you're living soulfully. Right. It's, that it's, actually living soulfully is very possible yes. when you are in the in the yes. dark places. When you're in the places yes. of like, oh my goodness, like I'm not quite sure how to put one foot in front of the other. Or my heart feels so broken right now. I don't know right. if it can ever be repaired. Right. Or you know what? This life or this person or this scenario has really disappointed me. Right. How do I like put the foot in front of the other? What right. what are the things that I do to try to make through it? Right. And you know, I always say you got to feel it. Yeah. And so when someone's going through something, like I'm like, you know, you got to you got to feel what it feels like to to be it's disappointed and to be it. sad and and hurt and all of yeah. those things and you know, I think our culture is so quick to say, oh gosh, don't feel the pain, you know, give yourself something or run away from it or ignore it. Or, um, and it's why, you know, I, I do a lot of funerals right. and, and sometimes I wish that we did the old tradition where people were black for like six months or a yeah. year because so that other people could see like, you know what, I'm walking around and yeah, I'm at the grocery store and I'm, you know, picking up kids and I'm, um, you know, doing the garden and all those things, but on the inside, I got a broken heart. That's right. And one, tread lightly with me right. and help me make my way through this. But right. also it's the person that's going through it to be able to say, it's all right. Like that's you're right. suffering a loss right now, but the promise is that the light will come in the morning. That's, that's what exactly the psalmist right. says. The light will come in the morning right. and it's the promise. That's exactly right. I, I think it's so important to name the pain or the suffering or the loss that we are enduring, whether it's on behalf of someone else. Like I have a brother who struggled with mental illness and addiction and his suffering, you know, he, which he lives with so acutely. Um, but you know, the ones who love him so much 
also have endured a suffering as he's suffered mm -hmm. so you know greatly and deeply and for a long time. And so um, I think it's so important to name your pain as part of like getting through it and resurrecting from it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's that's part of living honestly, which I think is always part of living soulfully. And also part of, you know, this may sound trite, but I think it is absolutely one of my core truths is it's especially in times that are very difficult that gratitude can be such a force mm -hmm. for, um, you know, suddenly things that we took for granted illuminate themselves as oh, yeah. life's richest blessings, you know? And so I think looking around for, um, you know, looking at our landscape in the midst of pain and suffering to look around and see, you know, I know you and I, and you may not want me to say this, but you and I have both suffered miscarriages and I feel like all the more um, illuminated my own children have become and what a gift and a miracle it was right. that they came out of my body. You know, just yeah, what a, a miracle of life they are. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure I would have such a profound, deep gratitude for having been able to have children had I not encountered the losses of miscarriage. Right. So I think gratitude and naming the pain is a, is a huge part of, of, of soulful living in the midst of, I mean, life is, one way to look at life is a collection of losses. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's not really how I choose to look at it, but. No, but we are, it, we're gonna have, um, we are, we're just we're gonna have these setbacks and, yeah. You know, we, we hope they're not the tragic, tragic ones. And even yeah. when they are the tragic ones, we still have to make our way through those yeah. too. Um, it's, it's to live soulfully yeah. is to find your way through when life isn't the way you want Tragedy. it to go. You yeah. know, I mean, it can be a lost dream. Yeah. It could be a lost baby. Marriage. It could be a lost friend. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of these things that we have to, and, and I think that part of living soulfully is having the toolbox and then going in the toolbox. Yeah. And I say this, that you have to have people around you. Yeah. You pick the people that are around you. Mm -hmm. Pick these people because it's all good and dandy when we're sitting out on the terrace having a cup of tea and it's beautiful and sunny, but you have to pick these people because they're the ones that are with you when you're crying in your cups. That's exactly right. And and you need them to help collect your tears and be there for you and know that you're standing by. So part of living soulfully is choosing people to be with you on the journey. Yeah. Like really intentionally yeah. choosing people that are gonna, they're gonna just hold your soul up when yeah. you can't hold it up yourself. I think that goes back to what we were talking about, about being a Christian in community, like the sort of adage of it takes a village but mm -hmm. there really are people in my own life that I felt like kept holding that mirror up to what was possible for me um, you know what they saw in me especially in times when I thought okay I'm gonna I need to switch paths here or I, I keep hitting dead ends or um, right. you know and so that it's, it is so important with who you surround yourself like with they can keep the light on or keep that faith going right. in times when your own faith feels tested or. Well, I've said many <laughs> times in my own life that, um, especially with, you know, Charlie's cancer, that there was a time when, um, I absolutely could not carry my own faith. Yeah. 
And I'll never forget my mom walking into my kitchen in New York City in our small little apartment and, and her just saying, I'm going to carry it for you until you wow. can carry it. And that it is. was so profound that it's like when you talk about, you know, what, how is your life going to be consequential? The idea that there would be a time where I would help someone else carry their faith. It's like, then my life counted for something. Yeah. Because that is like the it's most beautiful. precious, sacred thing you can do for another human being is to be, be there for them in that place. Yeah. And if we're following Jesus as our guide, you know, come to me, all ye who mm -hmm. labor, who are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Like, I will carry the load for you. We are yoked together. Right. Um, okay, so you've, you've crossed through the gates and you've high-fived Peter and, and you, you step into the presence of God, your spirit. And um, what would you say? What would you, what would you be thinking? What would you like to hear? What would you say to God? Was I faithful? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, Such a you cool... Know what? But, but you know, I was faithful? I faithful? But that's, that's the question to ask every day in right. the presence of God. Was I faithful? You know, it's like right. that's the one thing what, you know, I, I, when I think of answering that own question, I, it's, for me, it would be just thank you. Yeah. Just like thank, thank you, you so much yeah. for every single one of the experiences that led yeah. me to this place. Yes. And thank you that there's now a new way forward because yes. I'm ready for it. Yes. Like, what's next, yeah. right? What's I love next? that. What's yeah. next? Um, okay, so both of us love to cook. Yes. We love going to the market and yes. getting our fresh vegetables. We love setting up in our kitchen. We love our people around us when we're cooking in our kitchens. We love setting the table. We love sitting down and eating with people. I mean, that is like really... It's why we love one another so much because we both love that so much. Um, so if you had your like perfect meal, who, what would you cook and would you cook? Who would be sitting around your table? Mm. What does that look like? I love to cook. In fact, when Robbie... And I'm hoping I'm going to get a recipe out of this. Oh, okay. oh God. <laughs> when, when Robbie and I were dating, he was, if I remember... Which, who, who is the loveliest human being? He is, your Robbie. Yeah, he really is. I can't believe it, but I can't believe we're married. But um, when we were dating, he was like in his tiny little apartment kitchen making some, making me dinner, and it was like frozen, something frozen from Trader Joe's. He was heating up on the stove, and I was doing something in his refrigerator, and he, he looked at me, Carol, you, I think you're going to be funny. He looked at me, he was like, so can you like make soups and stuff? <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, I'm like a really good cook. <laughs> That's what I said. Anyway, I do like love to cook. Trader Joe's frozen. I know. I'm not going to cut it. This is the last, this is the end of it. I know. But um, cooking to me is not a burden. It is something that I just look forward to every single day. I can sincerely say that. And I hope it does not sound annoying, yeah. but it is a stress reliever. It is a creative outlet. I don't really cook from recipes. I love 
Um, my favorite thing to cook, if I was gonna have you over for dinner, I would just love to sort of go into the re refrigerator and make some kind of refrigerator soup based on what needs to be cooked, whether it's leftover baked sweet potatoes or mashed potatoes or beans and just start cutting the onions is like what everything starts yeah. with, right? And yeah. um, just build it sort of from the ground up. And again, was being faithful to what is available to me at that very moment. And so, um, I love peasant food. I love to eat peasant food. I love to cook peasant food, and it, it can be so nourishing. And I believe meal time peasant food that is beautiful. Yes, and, and like so creative. Yes. Like I don't want people to think when you say peasant. No food, peasant we're food. I mean like from scratch. Ingredients. Yes, like yes. Like, we're we're not doing like fancy, you know, three star French no. French sauces. We're no. talking. We're we make food that is. Simple, pure ingredients, whatever we have, okay. some fresh herbs in there, some good olive oil. Homemade and stock. that is like, yeah, yeah, homemade stock. It's like from scratch. I think, you know, sometimes it's the misnomer that I'm like over here making, you know, Le Cordon Bleu yeah. <laughs> dinners every night. And actually, what I love is the simple. Yeah. Cooking is simple. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be simple. I think it can be very complicated too, but that's not the kind of cooking I do or the kind of cooking I'm interested in. I um, I think I said to you once, I'm just a salt and pepper cook, which is true. Um, but I'm I, a salt and pepper and herbs olive oil and herbs and, herbs 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 and lemon and, and Parmesan. Yes. yes I, was, Parmesan. I had some friends um, from France that were staying with us last week. And, and so I made this big dinner. And so we were sitting at the dinner table and she was like, I mean, you put Parmesan in everything. And I was like, why would you not? <laughs> Exactly. I love it. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But um, we have, you know, one of the things my food project work has really taught me is just how to make the most of everything. Again, being faithful. So we, we use tons of vegetables in our house and I just have a big freezer bag. All vegetable scrap goes in there once a week. We make a big stock out of like all the leftover, you know, vegetable scrap and maybe put Parmesan oh, rinds in it. That's a good idea. I love the Parmesan um, rinds. But it's so great to have something so nutritious. And I think to your point about mealtime and who would be there, um, I mean, definitely my own family. But one time I was introduced to this idea of the uninvited guest, that you always leave a seat for the uninvited guest. At Passover meals, they yeah, do that for Elijah. Yeah, it's a tradition. But, yeah, I love that. Um, I think that's like a pretty cool practice to put into place, but um, I love slow meal time where we're just not just nourishing our bodies, but nourishing the connections we have to one another. I think too, Deep that's why I'm so drawn to, um, to France and the European mm. lifestyle. It's because, you know, here in France, it. it's like we, I mean, here in America, we, we, we rush through things because we're getting to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And and in France, it's like, but this is the thing. That's right. Like, Relish the whole day is leading up to Leading it. up to yeah. this moment where we all it's just beautiful. sit down into the chairs and we're mm -hmm. going to sit here. And I love that. Yeah. I love where that leads us. And I just love that sacred time of not rushing. And yeah. um, we both talked about earlier the importance of sitting down with our families. Yes. And um, how that really isn't the norm anymore. That's the way I grew up. My father came home and my mom, we sat down for dinner every single night. Um, my dad cooked dinner for us every Sunday night. Yeah. Um, it was just such a, it's just in me. It's in every fiber of my being that that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, but I know not everybody does that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I laugh because, and I give all of this to my dad. He's this jolly, like, person who loves to eat, but... 
but we, we laugh at my house because, you know, you eat breakfast and we're sitting down having breakfast grits and eggs and everything. But the conversation is, what are we having for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> and then at <laughs> and lunch. Then the conversation is, what, what are we, we having, having for dinner? dinner? Like, that's that. like, that's, that's the yeah. part of the day that's the most important. Yeah. And it's so cool because food has this way, I mean, it's universal. So we all eat and it's this like incredible medium in a way because it, it is universal. It's something we all have in common. And yet it also pull, it's a, it's this thing that pulls out our particularities. It pulls out our cultures. It pulls out our, the ways we were raised. It pulls out our socioeconomic status. It, you know, it, it, it has, it, it, it also pulls at part, our particularities, I guess. And, um, I don't know, food is just an, I think it's an incredible subject matter that can lead us into all... I think it's all... an incredible... I could talk about it I and know. talk about it. Um, it's interesting because um, a close family friend, Mona Anthony, she had um, five children. And she told me I had two young ones and we were at her house and she said, Beryl, I'm going to give you a little piece of wisdom. Light a candle at dinner. Mm. Light a candle at dinner. Mm. Because all of a sudden you've just elevated the meal with just amazing? simply lighting a candle. It's, and I love that. Right, har you know? harkens us all back to like, this is a special time. Yeah, this is a special practice. Time. Yeah. And maybe that is part of what living soulfully is, is carving out sacred blocks of time in your day. Yeah. And like the day has been successful if, if I have done some sacred things in my day. Yeah. Now I am doing some carpooling and rushing around and, and, yeah. and going to the grocery store and doing those things. But if I can spend some time in nature, if I can spend some mm -hmm. time in in a book or in the scriptures, if I can spend time with a friend, if I can sit down and have my cup of tea and mm -hmm. my cookie. With the know, honey. These, yeah, yeah, with my honey, my harvested honey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which you've had. And it's, um, okay, so. Can I just one, say one more thing? I'm yeah, like, You lighting the candle at dinner, it goes back to, it's important to act as if bearing witness matters. Like, even if you're this. the only one who's making that time sacred, you are acting as if it's sacred. And I think the more you practice it, the more everyone's paying, you know, kind of, you're done demonstrating Because we're trying to model you're it. You're practicing yes. and modeling, yeah. and then you're like living into what your hope is. is that this yeah, is and I know, and I've realized like, you know, over the last 10 years that I am um, a kind of fly by the seat of your pants girl with with parenting and with cooking, you know, I don't, I don't cook by recipes. Mm -hmm. So I, I read cookbooks like it's mm -hmm. like pure literature, Same. but then I close the book and it's Same. in my head and mm -hmm. I create it myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm realizing though, that, that I do have, to, if I'm going to be a soulful person in the world, then I have to be an intentional person. Yes. So I have to be aware of, yeah. and, and I'll be the first person to say that days can go by weeks can go by that I'm not yeah. because I do get into that rush twirl, um, Burden. trying to accomplish things, busy moving from one thing to the next. And I forget that that's actually not the way I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. And usually I kind of have to hit the wall mm -hmm. and, and everybody knows like, Oh goodness, mom's tired. Mm -hmm. Um, she's, she's not as patient, mm -hmm. you know, she's a little rough around the mm -hmm. edges. So I and to yeah, mm -hmm. and I have to reel it back. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, to live the authentic, soulful life is mm -hmm. to recognize that that we don't do it all the time, yeah. and we have to be intentional and bring ourselves back to it. Yeah. So, um, one of the greatest gifts um, that that you've given to me, and and it's in speaking in church, and it's doing healing services with you, and it's just being your friend, is that you've gifted me with. Um, 
authors and spiritual kind of beacons that have really sunk in deep with me mm. and have um, formulated kind of what this narrative is, mm. my spiritual narrative. And, um, you know, you introduced me to Mary Oliver, who mm. uh, she just puts to words what I feel in mm. my soul mm -hmm. when I walk Radnor Lake, mm -hmm. or she just reminds me that there is a sacred reality mm that I'm a part of and that I get to participate in and I get to enjoy and relish and savor. And um, so I'm forever grateful for Mary Oliver. Um, what are some other, I'm hoping you're gonna give me new stuff. New authors? <laughs> <laughs> some new no. quotes and authors and yeah. places. What are some resources for you that kind of inspire and, and mm. um, keep the fires burning on the inside? Yes. Again, you've done so much the same for me. Um, you know, Wendell Berry is, continues to be like a big beacon for me. I think he's very, he, uh, I mean, he's a Christian and he holds, um, you know, holds really high standards, I think, for what it really means to live into the call of being a Christian and how we live our lives and how we spend our time and our money and protect our earth and honor the spirit within us. So, so many Wendell Berry books. I've recently read a book called The Hidden Wound. He wrote about American slavery and racism that was very convicting. Um, you know, I love the Indigo Girls. <laughs> so I've I just love the Indigo Girls. Would just say that their lyrics and, <laughs> and their music has truly been the soundtrack to my life. Well, and we in love many Florence ways. and the Machine too. We love and Florence. I think her Flor lyrics, that her new record to me is like chapters of a book about hope. High as hope, it's called. High as hope. Um, and to me, it is like chapters of a book. I think she got sober, so I think she confronts some truths about herself mm -hmm. and, and life. Uh, really profound. Uh, Brandy Carlisle's newest record is all about forgiveness and has, again, sort of like chapters in a book around forgiveness, both micro and macro. Um, Father Greg Boyle, have you read Tattoos yeah. on the Heart? Or yeah. his newest is called Barking to the Choir. He's a Jesuit priest out in LA. He works with ex-gang members uh, called Homies. And his writing is and storytelling is just profound about God's love and God's presence. And okay, so I sign off um, on my blog each week. Live in hope. To live yes. in hope. And, and I do that with such intentionality because I think it is, it is an effort yes. to live in hope. I think people look at me and probably you too and say, oh, but she's just such a happy, optimistic, mm. hopeful person. And, and the hope that I'm talking about, though, is the deep mm. hope, the mm. hope that we're, you trust in God, you trust yeah. all that you love, all that you are, all that you desire, all that yes. you hope for, you trust in God, yes. um, the hope that... Um, healing and resurrection are possible. Yes. The hope that love is all that we need and will yeah. prevail. Yeah. Um, always will prevail. Um, yeah. It's deep when I say live in hope. Yes. So what does it look like to live in hope for you? And what is like your big hope? Mm. What comes to mind when I think of live in hope in a really deep way is just my belief and faith you know, in multiple places in Isaiah, in the Psalms, in Revelation, there are these words of God saying, see, I am making all things new. See, I am making all things new. And I just have to believe in that constant and joyous renewal in God, both daily and eternally. I think my big hope is that 
And this sounds really, what's so tragic about this and also gives me hope is that this is so within reach. It's just that, um, you know, we could live more equitably um, mm -hmm. where you know, people among us, I'm not talking about in other countries, although globally this would be amazing, but even just people in our own community, um, we could restore some economic justice where people did not have to go without their basic human rights, mm -hmm. food, mm -hmm. clothing, shelter, water, family who loves them. Um, so that is my hope, and that is something that we really could do in this country mm -hmm. easily enough, but it's political and it's controversial. And, um, I know, but we have people like you that are <laughs> gentle presence in the world who, who are hopeful people that, like, if there was ever anyone to make that a reality, it would be you. I just have to believe it's possible, and I am going to work the rest of my life to see in whatever ways I can. But to your point about Elon Musk, we all got to figure out our path and work on that path because mm -hmm. I can't, I can't work on housing issues and I can't work on, uh, or I'm not working on minimum wage issues. I'm working on, you know, the, the issue at hand for me, but I do recognize um, that it touches all these other things and we, you know, we can't, we can't do it alone. So um, I love Dr. King's image of the beloved community. That would be, do you know that, that yes. just beautiful picture where people have what they need and it's a, and it's a just and loving society full of mutual respect. And I, when I think of, see, I am making all things new. I have to believe the beloved community is I in our midst. That, that so. is like a new definition of hope for me. Yeah. See that I'm making all things new Constantly. because then it means that we're living in anticipation of God, what God yeah. will do next. And so we don't get stopped, but we keep pushing putting that one foot in front of yeah. the other.